HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to 2014, What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights with Katie Kiefer. That's me, your host. Um, We're at a new time. It's Monday at noon. So for those of you who tune in live uh, regularly, that's when it's going to happen. Otherwise, you can find me, as always, on the archive, on Stitcher, and on iTunes. Um, So today, I don't have a guest, actually, which is unusual for me. I do that about once a year, and it's usually this first broadcast of the year. And the reason I do it is because I want to talk about some of the things that I'm interested in covering over the next year. And I also want to introduce my Facebook page. Yes, I finally caught up with the 21st century. I have to admit I am something of a Luddite when it comes to social media, but I'm doing my best. And so after many, many months of promising to do this, I actually have gone ahead and done it. That took that week-long winter break to uh, get me to sit down at the at the um, computer and figure out how to do this. It's not really that hard, but you know, somehow it just seemed insurmountable. Um, but now I've done it. And here's what you might find on the Facebook page. By the way, it is called Food Industry, uh, sorry, What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights with Katie Kiefer. So if you look on Facebook for that, you will see my Facebook page. And pretty much, even though I, at the risk of over uh, over posting, um, pretty much every day or every other day, I'll probably sling up something that I've seen uh, that I like, that I think is interesting, that I think you'll think is interesting. And of course, um, as my guests start to uh, get booked and I start rolling out my next few months worth of programming, um, I'll be teasing those programs on the Facebook page. And also, usually when I when I get somebody onto the show, it's because I've read something about them or something that they've written. So I will be posting those articles as well so that you can follow why I'm doing this. And I hope to make it somewhat sequential as I'm doing it so that there is uh, maybe a little order to the chaos here. But I, I have a little bit of a grasshopper type mentality. And so I do jump around from topic to topic and things interest me and sort of the aggregate is what um, you know informs my work, but that may not work so well for you. In any case, I will try to be um, 
somewhat consistent with the topics that I select. And uh, most of you probably know a lot of the topics that I'm already kind of fixated on, um, <laughs> you know, like antibiotics in the food system. Um, that's really come to a head this past year uh, in a very interesting way. And there's been actually quite a bit of mainstream coverage. I'd like to remind you that I have been covering this topic for now three and a half years. Um, way, way ahead of the mainstream media uh, who sort of ignored this until it became something that even other world uh, health leaders were beginning to freak out over. Um, and I'd like to point out also that it's not just because um, – you know, the meat industry uh, prescribes antibiotics to their livestock. It's because humans overprescribe. But there is a big component of um, the meat industry in terms of developing specific types of foodborne illnesses that are multidrug resistant. And um, that is something that I will continue to cover. Um, and some of the people that I have on, of course, are from the meat industry too, because they don't get a lot of voice in uh, these reports in mainstream media. And I think it's important to hear from them what they're doing, what they're not doing, and why. So that's one topic that you can expect to hear a lot more from me. Um, there's a lot more uh, stuff going on in the GMO world um, with the uh, failure of Roundup and Roundup-ready crops and the rise of more uh, persistent weeds and bugs that are, again, multi essentially multi-drug resistant. They're evolving to be able to withstand stuff like Roundup. A new, a not-so-new... Um, and uh, uh, herbicide has come into play, which uh, is called uh, 2,4-D. 2,4-D is a component of Agent Orange. And not to be alarmist about it, but it's really not a good chemical. And when Roundup came in, it was theoretically to keep people from using too much of that 2,4-D or to replace it altogether. And what's happened is, is because Roundup is not working the way it was supposed to, um, and within seven years uh, of using Roundup, which has been on the market for about 15, um, what's happened is, is that all these herbs these uh, weed pests have become resistant to it. And uh, right on their heels are the insect populations that are also becoming resistant. And that's what GMO crops are for. They are not for specifically any other reason than to um, decrease the use of fertilizer, the use of pesticides, and the use of herbicides. Actually, that's not even accurate. It's just pesticides and herbicides. That was The idea was to get those out of the equation. And um, it has unfortunately failed. And that's, that's really to be lamented because it would have been great if, um, if Mother Nature and evolution uh, had not caught on to the GMO concept. Um, not that I'm a big promoter of same, but the science is out on this. And I'm not going to say that it's bad until I know it's bad. I just know that adding yet another herbicide, pesticide, into the mix because something has failed is not a good outcome for this experiment on a grand scale that we have all been participating in, whether we like it or not. And to that end, um, I'm also going to be doing some programming about labeling because, as we all know, there was the famous proposition in uh, California that failed um, for labeling products that contain GMO products. Meanwhile, we have tons of GMO in our products already, which aren't labeled. Um, things like corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup is all made from BT corn. That's not labeled. Um, and the Grocery uh, Manufacturers Association would really like to make sure that things stay that way. And it's an interesting thing, an interesting parallel between how the GMA wants to, that's the Grocery Manufacturers Association, how they want to structure labeling on GMO products, which they would like to include in natural, um, because after all, these these new plant species aren't 
natural because they are plants. Um, that's about as far as it goes, but they are plants. Um, so that that ties into another big labeling issue, um, which I'm really interested in and have done absolutely nothing about, but have been following quite um, assiduously, and that is country of origin labeling. And that has a big impact on the um, meat industry, but also on many other products that we, because we have a global food market and we import and export a lot of food. And the World Trade Organization um, is... Uh, not on the same page, shall we say, as the um, American livestock or agricultural sector on this. And so there's a lot of drama being played out around cool, with especially the meat industry being upset because they do so much trade with Canada and Mexico. Um, both of those countries have somewhat different uh, regulations and standards than we do. And the uh, meat produ- production uh, sector is calling this an unnecessary and onerous labeling responsibility, which will raise the cost of packaging and therefore raise the cost of meat, et cetera, et cetera. So stay tuned for that because I'm, I'm looking around for some experts on cool, which is how it's known. And um, we will be examining that because it really does have an impact on our health. And of course, the meat industry is part of our, our gross domestic product. It's a big part of it. It's a big industry in this country. And um, what they do has an impact on all of us, uh, whether we're vegans, vegetarians, or hardcore carnivores, as I once was. Um, but no longer, strangely. Um, Another thing that I really um, am always curious about is something called GRAS, G-R-A-S. And that is a designation that the FDA puts on all kinds of products, um, particularly uh, foods processing products. Um, And what it means is generally regarded as safe. So, for example, uh, a year or so ago when I was covering nanotechnology and um, I had a couple of reporters on, I think Heather Millar uh, was on last year to talk about nanotech and nanotech silver, nano silver as it's called, which is being um, used ever more increasingly to help in the preservation of foods. Um, it's being impregnated into packaging to retard spoilage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, meanwhile, there is uh, some question that nano silver can penetrate the blood-brain barrier. And so, you know, at the risk of um, having a load of silver at the end of your lifetime mined out of your brain, um, this is another, another process and designation where it's called generally regarded as safe. And generally regarded as safe just doesn't seem to stack up for me as a truly responsible way to label products about which they have not done sufficient study, but have rolled them out into the marketplace nonetheless. So um, I think that bears looking into as well. There's so much. There's just so much, you guys. Um, Here's another thing that really bugged me. Uh, In December, Rolling Stone magazine published an article about the meat industry that was just as sensational and ghastly and horrible and grotesque as you could imagine um anyway it was uh really it was um it was the worst of the kind of sensational exposés of any industry uh that was i'm sorry to say uh heavily participated in with the humane society of the united states which is an organization that i normally feel pretty supportive of but this particular author whose name um, i'm not going to mention right now because i hope to have him on as a guest um but you can look up his article it's um it's in the december issue of rolling stone 
And there's a lot, there are a lot of inaccuracies. Um, there is a lot of finger pointing. There are, you know, certainly many things about the meat industry that we can all dislike and abhor. Um, but there are many things about it which are good and which are meaningful and valuable. And um, this article does nothing to uh, support any side of their story. The author has clearly no uh, actual experience on farm or in a processing plant. So it was it was quite disappointing to me and, and really kind of made me mad. Um, so I'd like to take that guy to the woodshed. And um, I'd also like to do a little bit of a series actually about food journalism and sort of dissecting the sensational from the real. Uh, why is it that um, stories always focus on what's worse? Where is the balance in reporting on the food industry? Um, all of those things, I think, are being lost in the sort of desire to blow up a story and, and uh, you know, get a lot of readership and, and make people scared and or angry or whatever it is. But um, I, I think that it's a very pernicious um, trend in reporting, and it's certainly echoed in the political reporting, um, as we've all seen. So that's that's another direction I want to go into. I think it's really important to um, kind of dial back the drama and um, get into some real factual reporting about what actually makes our food system work, um, where can we improve it. Let's have some dialogue about that instead of constantly uh, espousing the polarity, the polar opposites. You know, side one says X, side two says Y, and never the twain shall meet. That is not productive for us as a society. It's not productive for our health or for the environment. So I'm all for um, creating some form of uh, balanced dialogue and agree to disagree on points and come to some uh, you know, some kind of compromises on some of the issues that consumers are most concerned about. And that would be, in my opinion, um, environmental concerns, animal welfare concerns, and um, food additives in uh, either livestock or just in uh, food general in general. And that leads me to another topic that I want to discuss. Um, and that is dietary supplements, food supplements. Um I am fascinated by this multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar industry. Um, I see ads constantly for supplements that claim to promote uh, better health, better this, better that, longevity, you name it. Um, and there is literally no regulation around these supplements. These manufacturers can put pretty much whatever they want in. And there is very little in the way of scientific trial on this, um, certainly nothing that I've found that was of any significance. So, of course, I will be inviting my beloved um, and frequent guest, Marian Nessel uh, from NYU, on to, to discuss supplements um, because I know she has quite an opinion about them herself. So we'll be talking about that. Um, in the future, I also want to talk a lot about um, aquaculture. Because aquaculture is going to become uh, the main source of protein, I believe, for the world population. And uh, much has been said and um, dissed about fin fish aquaculture. And by that, I mean salmon, um, uh, catfish, tilapia, et cetera, et cetera. And those are, uh, those are all industries that are evolving and changing and getting much better. And I think that that is to be celebrated. Um, I've done a lot of study around uh, shellfish aquaculture, and I'd like to bring guests on to talk about that and sort of what's happening in terms of uh, both just offshore and then further offshore. There are a lot of regulations uh, in place that are making it difficult to do offshore aquaculture um, partly because of who regulates what, 
uh, partly because the government moves very slowly, partly because there haven't been enough studies done, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's the wave of the future, and I think it's really worth um, learning more about and understanding what the challenges are and what the successes are to date. Um, we're going to take like a, just a quick moment of sponsor drop here, and we'll be right back with more of what to expect from What Doesn't Kill You. <laughs> we'll be right back. Please stay tuned. Every August for the past 10 years, Heritage Foods USA has had the great honor of announcing the arrival of a new generation of Good Shepherd Ranch Heritage turkeys and a new chapter in the history of an endangered species. You have to eat them to save them. While many farmers now use the term, Frank Reese and his team raised the truest example of the original Heritage Turkey. According to the USDA, they remain the only farm allowed to use the name Heritage on their label. We hope you reserve your healthy, naturally mating, flying, standard bronze, bourbon red, white holland, slate, black, or Narragansett turkey today. Let's do it again and support the brightest hope for the turkey. We guarantee these are the best tasting turkeys ever or your money back. Prices start at $75. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And that was Patrick Martins, and I hope you all did your duty and ordered yourselves a fabulous turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Ranch. Um, I myself enjoyed some Simmental uh, steaks from Heritage Foods for Christmas. It was really awesome. Um, So anyway, to go back to what we were talking about before, which is talking about what I'm going to be talking about... (laughs) I just cracked myself up. Um, Yeah, we're going to be talking about what I'm going to be talking about. Um, So yeah, I have like a, you know, as I say in the earlier part of the show, I have this list of topics and believe me, they are ever changing, ever growing, ever evolving because it really depends on what I'm reading. And I read all these trades, which you too can read because most of them are free. Uh, Drover's Cattle Network, meetingplace.com. I'd like to read Feedstuffs, but I can't afford the subscription. Um, But that's a great magazine about the agricultural sector. Um, also, I read things like Food and Science, uh, Food Navigator, um, Food Poison Journal with my buddy Bill Marler, who's been a fairly frequent guest on this program as well. Um, so he he and I talk a lot about food safety issues, and uh, that will certainly be on the list of what's to come because there are some really big changes coming up. First of all, the the Undersecretary for the Department of Agriculture left, Elizabeth Hagen, who was in charge of of uh, food safety and inspection services, and uh, a new deputy has yet to be announced, as far as I know. I think there's an acting undersecretary right now, but I'm not sure that that's going to be the the final person. It'll be interesting to see who replaces her. She was very popular. Um, She also supported things that I didn't support, like HIMP, which is the new poultry processing inspection form, um, which is getting a lot of press, believe it or not, and uh, which I've covered on this show a couple of times, and which was called to a halt by the General Accounting Office um, in a not so, uh, no, a fairly recent interview with um, Alfredo Gonzalez from the Government Accountability Office, um, talking about why they stopped the uh, the rollout of the HIMP program. Anyway, you can go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, here's another thing that I really want to talk about, and which has been in the mainstream media a lot, and that's the cost of cheap food, uh, of cheap fast food, I should um, clarify. McDonald's, um, Taco Bell, all of the big chains, they don't pay their workers a minimum wage, as I'm sure you've all read. And the result is, is that many of those uh, hardworking folks 
folks are going on public assistance. And that's coming right out of your pocket and mine. So what to do about that? Uh, how can we uh, rally around these workers? Um, can we, you know, I'm going to try to get somebody from that movement onto the show to talk about uh, lobbying Congress uh, for at the very least raising minimum wage to something that people can actually live on and forcing these um, fast food companies who are making money hand over fist uh, to do better by their workers. So that's that's something to look forward to. I'm also reaching out to a bunch of legislators. Um, I contacted Rosa DeLauro. She's uh, the congresswoman from Connecticut. She has been very, very... Um, uh, active on the antibiotics and livestock uh, front. She's uh, been a co-sponsor of the PAMTA bill, and um, she's been a good friend to Louise Slaughter, who is the microbiologist in Congress who has been introducing over and over again this preservation of, um, you know, basically our medicine, our medical arsenal uh, for about eight years to no avail. And um, there's a lot to talk about in that because there are these not so new, but uh, recently touted as new uh, federal or sorry, FDA guidances about the use of antibiotics in livestock, which is supposed to make a difference, but um, I think is really just business as usual. And um, if you want to refer to my recent blog in the Huffington Post, uh, look for Harshing Your Mellow. It's not a great title, but it was the only one I could think of at the time. Um, And uh, read about the National uh, Institute of, of Animal Agriculture symposium that I attended in November about the issue of antibiotics in the food system, and I kind of pretty much take it apart. And um, and actually, it was kind of fun when I after I published this article, I read a, a lot of other journalists who, thank God, had the same opinion I did. <laughs> It would have been so embarrassing if I had gotten the completely wrong end of this argument. But no, happily, I actually am smart. So all was well there. Um, I did, uh, unfortunately, upset my friend, Dr. Richard Raymond, who has been a regular guest on this program as well, and who is a consultant uh, for several pharmaceutical industries and a consultant to the livestock industry, as well as being a former Food Safety and Inspection Services director himself. He was not pleased at all with me. um, And so I, I did have to eat crow with him. But Um, I didn't back down, just in case you were worried. And then, um, finally, I think uh, one of the biggest issues we face, not finally, I have more to say than this, but one of the biggest issues that we face is water and climate change. And um, I see in uh, some of my meat papers, as it were, um, that uh, California is already declaring a state of emergency in terms of water. They're already anticipating record low rainfalls, uh, record high temperatures, and the impact that's going to have on livestock, on agriculture in general, it will be quite profound. Um, and obviously, it's not going to get better anytime soon unless, um, you know, some sort of interesting deluge kind of experience happens and we all build an arc. Um, we can pretty much assume that we're going to get drier and drier and uh, and it's going to be harder and harder to grow crops. And that's one of the reasons why the GMO issue is so complicated because um, one of the things they've worked on in GMO but has not yet brought to market are crops that use less water. And uh, I know that a lot of seed companies are, are working hard on trying to make that kind of thing happen. I don't know what the answer is, um, but that's why I'm not ready to completely rule out GMO crops until I find out whether or not they succeed in, in at least uh, producing a seed that can survive on less input. 
And then uh, I guess we're getting to the end of my list for now. Oh, no, institutional food, hospital food. I'm always interested in that. You might not be, but I'm going to make it interesting for you, I promise. Um, Hospital food is really undergoing a big revolution, and a lot of hospitals are changing their, uh, their, you know, I mean, they've always been a, a, you know, the the straw man for bad food, right? Um, They are changing their styles, their purchasing practices, and we've had some talk about that uh, when I had... um someone from Physicians for Social Responsibility on the show a few months ago. Um, but I'd like to delve into that further. Um, Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital has a real pioneering program where it's almost basically run like a restaurant. And other uh, other hospitals around the country are altering their, their buying practices. And this, in turn, will, again, have a very big impact on uh, what kind of food we eat and how it's manufactured because institutional buyers are really the big kahuna when it comes to um, food processing and food manufacturing. So when they say they don't want something, if a hospital organization says, I don't want something, or a school system says, I don't want something, or I do want something, for instance, antibiotic-free meat, um, then the industry really has to listen. And if they don't, they lose their market share. And actually, that's already sort of happening with the antibiotics issue, which I think is really interesting. So we'll be talking about that just because, um, you know, big buyers have a lot of big leverage and uh, and they should absolutely use it. Um, so anyway, among the fabulous guests I had last year, I'm just going to remind you because I want to have them back again and again. Uh, first of all, at the top of the list, Tom Philpot. He writes for Mother Jones and for other publications. I actually just put his most recent article, which was a rebuttal to a GMO article in the New York Times recently. Uh, this was his Reasoning is absolutely brilliant and flawless. He's very, very knowledgeable. Check out my webpage to read it uh, or go to his. It's uh, Again, it's What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with Katie Kiefer. Unfortunately, you have to go for the whole Monty there. Um, but once you like my page, then my feed will come up. So um, yes, it's a miracle. Um, Michael Moss joined me this past year. Michael Moss is the author of... Um, Sugar, Salt, and Fat, How the Food Industry Hooked Us on... Yeah. Um, Michael was an amazing guest and uh, recently published a cover story for time, for the Sunday Times Magazine. He's always at work on something interesting, and I hope he'll come back again and again to speak. Winona Howder, uh, who wrote Foodopoly, was on last year. Uh, she is the director of Food and Water Watch. She's one of my favorite guests, and I'm hoping that she'll come back soon, along with other members of the team at Food and Water Watch, one of our most important uh, consumer advocates organizations in the country. Um, Bob Martin from the Pew Charitable Trusts. Uh, Bob was one of the the guys who, he basically was the director or the chair of the group that evaluated uh, the livestock industry and its impact on the environment um, five years ago. And then they reissue, or they didn't reissue, they they uh, revisited that, that report from five years ago and updated it. Um, Bob was the man behind that, and I certainly hope to um, have him on to talk about it uh, in the very next few weeks, actually. Um, of course, my friend Dr. Richard Raymond from the meat industry, when he gets over being mad at me, I will have him back to talk about various issues that he is aware of, uh, most particularly beta agonists in the meat supply and the impact that's having on our trade. Charles Benbrook, uh, who is a scientist who has been in the forefront of um, examining the impact of GMO products and crops uh, and where they have failed. Uh, he was on last year. I'm hoping he'll come back. James Johnson, another uh, very interesting scientist from the University of Minnesota who talked about antibiotics about a year, year and a half ago. The wonderful writer Paul Greenberg, the author of Four Fish. Love the guy. 
Love, love, love him. Incredibly knowledgeable about fish, fishing, wild caught, aquaculture, you name it. Paul knows it. Um, so I'm hoping he'll be back soon. Jane Black, uh, a really terrific reporter with the New York Times who also works for the Food and Environmental Reporting Network um, on a variety of issues. Uh, she's publishing a new book, and I'm hoping she'll come on the show to talk about that. Um, look for more uh, input with Urvashi Rangan, um, the fabulous person from uh, Consumers Union, and that's Consumer Reports for those of you who don't know it. Uh, Urvashi and I have uh, collaborated on quite a few programs about antibiotics, but she's also very knowledgeable about arsenic in the food supply, et cetera, et cetera. So she's, she is just an unbelievably talented and smart woman and a terrific, uh, explainer of these very complex issues. And they are complex, make no mistake. There's nothing easy about changing paradigms of, of uh, industry practice, etc. And um, and even the people involved, I think, are often at a loss to explain exactly the science. Well, Urvashi can make it all clear as a pane of glass for you. Um, Tim Fitzgerald is another guest I've had on a few times. He's from the EPA. He's very involved in aquaculture, so maybe he'll be one of the guys that comes on to talk about aquaculture in the future. Um, I'm also going to be interviewing somebody from a company called Verlasi, which is one of the few aquaculture companies growing salmon uh, that has managed to figure out a completely different scheme for feeding and managing waste. And uh, I hope that they will be the wave of the future in finfish aquaculture. So we'll certainly have a little business with them. Um, In the meantime, once again, I urge you to go to my Facebook page, like my Facebook page, What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights with Katie Kiefer. Um, It's going to be fun. I welcome your comments. And please let me know what you're interested in hearing about. If you see an article you think is interesting, throw it up there. Um, And let's have a real dialogue about our food system, our food safety, and our environment. Um, Thanks to my sponsor today. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. So long for now. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.